Alrighty, good to see everybody today. Looks like some clouds are rolling in, huh? <clears throat> Hopefully, everything will be okay till everybody gets home. Is it? Surprise, surprise. <clears throat> Let us pray and uh, we shall begin. Let's pray. Well, Father, I thank you for this glorious day that you have made. Thank you for bringing us together in your faithfulness, giving us strength and giving us life and breath and all things, Lord. We thank you for sustaining us, Lord, and making us uh, competent, Lord, to hear your word, Lord. And we pray for your strength and your grace, Lord. Infuse us with your zeal and your strength, Father, so that we can live a life that is worthy, worthy of the calling and worthy of the gospel with which we've been called. Father, I just pray you strengthen us now, Lord, to understand what your word declares. Help us, give us wisdom, give us insight into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, again, um, let's see here. What happened to my... Somebody was up here playing around with this. Is that you, K-Dub? Okay. Um, we never finished uh, the different components of saving faith. We never got to the last one, which is a very, very important one. And at, that is the doctrine of... Or the, the aspect of saving faith known as fiducia, which has to do with confidence, or if you would, trust in the gospel. Remember that true saving faith is comprised of these various elements. Uh, let me make sure this is on. There we go. Okay, uh, for those out in the hallway, Sunday school is starting, so if you want to make your way in here, now would be a good time to do that. Uh, let me go on. So we began and we noticed uh, that notitia or cognition is uh, an aspect of saving faith that we cannot do without. In other words, Christianity is not a religion based on intuitionism. It is not a religion that is based on uh, uh, existentialism, which means the truth of Christianity does not arise out of our own personal uh, feeling or our own personal notion. It is not that we arrive at Christian truth through some sort of ecstatic experience or we had a um, we had some sort of uh, spiritual sense about us uh, but it has everything to do with cognitive knowledge so notitia is just that notitia is that aspect of saving faith that learns the, com the, the, the facts of the gospel it learns the knowledge of the truth and without the knowledge of the truth there is no such thing as saving faith. That's why the Bible says in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So a, a person cannot experience saving faith apart from knowing the truth of the gospel. It's that simple. And um, we, we looked at some grammatical constructions and how that played out. There's actual, uh, remember, there is actual grammar to these aspects of saving faith. It is whenever you see the word believe that, pistu hati, this Greek phrase, believe that Jesus is the Son of God, believe that he came from the Father. Those uh, believe that statements are all pointing to the body of truth that a person believes into, the facts of the gospel. It's just amazing to me how, how, um, how precise God made his word, you know? just how intricate and how, how elaborate it is, right? That there are actual grammatical constructions that teach a different aspect of saving faith. I think that gets me excited at night. 
I won't tell you how late at night, but it gets me excited at night when I'm up putting this together. Um, <coughs> the other one was a census. And the census has to do with conviction. Remember, I'm using the C's because it's easy that way. Cognition, conviction, and then the last one is confidence, as we're going to go on to see. But the, the Latin word ascensus just means that we also have to assent to the facts of the gospel, which means we have to agree that they are true. And so, in various places, this is exactly what happens. The grammatical construction is the simple word uh, pistuo, the, the, the verb, which means believe, but it has to be accompanied with a certain, uh, a certain case ending in whatever object it is talking about. So, uh, believe uh, in Jesus, and that would be in a certain dative case. And that is always talking about the fact that people had to agree with what Jesus was saying. Remember the arguments that he made in the Gospels where he puts them in a, in a conundrum and, and, and says to them, you know, the baptism of John, is it of God or is it not of God, right? And they perceptively think to themselves, right, well, we're in trouble because if we say that it's not of God, then the people will rise up against us because they all believe that John the Baptist is a prophet. If we say it is of God, then Jesus will tell us, then why did you not believe, right? Which means why didn't you agree, therefore, with what the baptism of John was announcing, which was the day of the Lord, the coming, you know, making straight, right, uh, uh, the, the coming of the messenger of God. So um, that is what you find with a census. So it is believe with the dative, and uh, it can be both positive and negative. Second Thessalonians chapter two verse eleven. We looked at that. It is all. It is, it is not believing the truth, and it is believing the truth. So in both ways, that is talking about your personal conviction that the gospel facts are right. And I can honestly say, for a very long time, wouldn't you agree? At least for me, I knew about the gospel, and if you told me, I would even say, I agree with the gospel. I had no problem saying, yeah, I, I, I know that's true. I know I'm in trouble. I know I'm a sinner. I know where I'm going if I die, right? And, and, and different, I don't know about you guys. I, well, I wasn't raised in a Christian home, but every time I encountered a Christian person who would be either trying to preach to me or reach, you know, reach out to me, right? Um, I, I remember as an 18-year-old rebellious young man saying, you know, uh, I know that's true, and uh, I know that I'm going to hell. I know all of that, right? So I had noticia. I had a knowledge of the gospel. I had a census. I even agreed with what the gospel was saying. But I did not have fiducia. I did not have confidence in the gospel to save me. So assent is cognition passed into conviction. So fiducia is conviction passed into confidence. It is going beyond merely agreeing that the gospel is true and you now putting your personal faith and trust in it. Um, Robert Raymond in his Systematic Theology says this. This is an important quote. He says, it is essential that faith include this third element. Otherwise, one's faith is the intellectual faith of demons who believe that God is one and who believe that Jesus is both the Son of God and their judge, but who, because they have no cognitive affection for Christ, to the contrary, they cognitively hate him 
and refused to trust him. And I would say that is precisely where I was at. I refused to trust in the gospel, right? I rather trust in myself. I rather trust in my friends. I rather trust in the world. I rather trust in the wisdom of the world than to trust in the gospel. And so fiducia was a major is is a major uh, step uh, in as far as saving faith is concerned. Now there are four ways that the Bible speaks of this confidence. Okay, four constructions in the Greek text. Uh, the first one is the word believe in, and it also has to have the dative. And so what does that mean? So turn with me to John chapter 3, verse 15. Um, obviously a well-known verse, but <coughs> this would be a place where trust is being emphasized, right? So that, well can't ever just go with that one verse, right? You've got to go to context, right? Um, and so I guess we'll begin in verse 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Watch this. So that whoever believes in him has, or whoever believes will in him have eternal life. Who has an ESV in here? K-Dub, can you read that, verse 15? That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. See, that's what I thought. Um, because the ESV kind of smooths out the, the rendering. The, the, the NASB, God bless them, and the, it's one of the reasons why I chose the NASB, is sometimes uh, literal to a fault. means it makes it kind of choppy to read, you know. Um, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. It's a little clumsy. A little clumsy, okay? But that's exactly what it means, so that whoever believes will have eternal life in him, right? And that's exactly right. Now, how do we know it's talking about trust and not just knowing the gospel? Well, look at the context. Verse 14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, you remember that, right? The serpent was to be lifted up. The children of Israel were supposed to look at it. And so long as they trusted and put faith that by looking at that, that of faith, that act of looking, they were trusting that on the basis of that faith, God would spare them, right? So in the same way, relying upon putting all your weight, all your faith in Jesus will result in eternal life. That's what it means to trust, right? Acts chapter 13. And again, if you have any questions regarding any of these, just feel free to ask. You are on video, though, so no pressure. <coughs> you know, we actually started videotaping. We're going to start videotaping these, um, these uh, Sunday schools. And for all of those of you watching through video, welcome. Um, and the reason why we did this is because the media has such a far reach. You know, um, just a quick testimony, but I'm reminded year, many, many years ago, Oh, I don't know, maybe seven years ago, eight years ago, um, a, a friend of mine called me from, from Denmark, and he said, you know, hey, you know, um, my name is Cameron, and uh, I just want to tell you, you know, I've been listening to your sermons, and 
I so appreciate your church and your ministry and what's going on. We basically take your sermons, we listen to them in a living room, and we kind of huddle around in a house, and, and, and that's kind of like our church right now because all the other churches around here are totally compromised. Well, that ended up becoming an established Reformed church, and that brother ended up becoming a very close friend of mine, Cam- uh, Cameron Butel, who now works for Grace to You, and his office is right next to Phil Johnson. So you just never know what God is going to do through media. I c- you can't ever, you know, you can't underestimate it. Where are we at? Acts thirteen thirty nine. Again, verse 38. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him, Christ, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. And so there, trusting, right? Not just knowing, not just agreeing, but trusting that your sins can be forgiven and not putting your trust in the law of Moses to do that. So this is a perfect example of trusting in the sovereign grace of God versus a works-based righteousness, which is based on the works of the law. Here's Acts, right? This is, um, this is Luke now writing the book of Acts fully in accord with, let's say, Pauline and, and Pauline thought and and uh, what Paul says in, let's say, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, that by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified in the sight of God. So <clears throat> just I like to always point out, my friends, agreement in the Bible. When author, different authors agree with one another, because so much of liberalism, so much of liberalism is based on trying to forge a disagreement between the authors of the Bible. I just watched a debate with Shabir Ali, uh, a very prominent Muslim scholar, um, and um, uh, uh, Nabil Quraish. And um, he, uh, the, the Muslim gentleman, uh, Shabir Ali, spent a great majority of time trying to point out how uh, John doesn't agree with pa- Paul here, and Matthew doesn't agree with Mark over here, and the authors of Scripture had different messages because they came up with things at different times and had different sources. That's how liberalism begins. Right? But here you have Luke writing and recording the very doctrine of Paul, which Paul goes on to articulate later. But the emphasis is on trusting Christ, putting your faith, that is your trust. And now another construction believe upon how many times have you read that believe upon right so let's look at uh let's go to romans 10 romans 10 verse 11 romans 10 verse 11 it says for the scripture says whoever believes in him will not be disappointed You see that? And uh, sometimes they translate that preposition epi, epi. So pistuo epi, which means to believe. uh, Really, the literal is to believe upon him. But for translation purposes, they often don't translate that upon literalness, right? Whoever believes upon him will not be disappointed. See that? That is a perfect example of fiducia right there. That if you... Put all of your weight, all of your trust on Christ. If you believe upon him, the way that you believe upon those chairs to hold you up, (laughs) right? And even more so, 
right? Because those chairs could fail you at any time. Rust will come in and destroy those chairs one day. But Jesus Christ can never be weakened in any way, and he will never disappoint, right? Yes, ma'am. Oh, thank you for that. <laughs> I don't mind. My wife just helps me with self-abasement, but uh, <laughs> I don't mind sharing. Yeah, I was on the phone with Robert. Was Robert in here? No, Robert. I was on the phone, ironically, with Robert, and I was walking around, and I have this little bench out in the front of my, uh, front of my driveway. Have you guys seen my little prayer bench? You see my little prayer bench? It's a funny little bench. It's made out of two-by-fours. People come by my house, knock on my door, and want to buy it. I don't know why. I found it in the trash. <laughs> but I, <laughs> I fell in love with this little bench, right? And so I'm very sad to even say this story. But, um, I, and, and, you know, sometimes I go out and sit out there and pray, read my Bible, whatever. But, you know, I, I, it's been raining, that heavy rain that we had, right? So I go, and I'm talking to Robert, and I go to sit down on this thing. And I went through down into the concrete faster than anything you could even believe. Matter of fact, my back went into the, the two by four behind the front one. It kind of had two planks. I sat on the first one. I just went boom. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm trying to tie it back in. Hold on. You know, the way that I trusted in that bench is the way that we need to trust in Christ. And just pull, put all trust, rely all, put all your weight on him to save you. But unlike the bench, Christ will not disappoint. <laughs> trust me, I was more than disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> it hurt. I'm still in pain right now from that. You know, that was, uh, that was, that was humbling. I let out a, like a, a loud yell, too. I was like, what? <laughs> I thought I was going to die or something. I don't know. Yes, Carlos. I should have let Trish. I know. I know. I didn't want to sell. I was stubborn. See? I didn't want to sell. I was hoarding. God judged me for. Jesse? Oh, I know, right? Oh, I know. But it would have been strong at that point. But I think all the, the rain, you know. Okay, let's. Um, Let's go to the third construction. Now, so this is believe upon. Oh, wait a minute. So what's the difference? Well, this is believe upon with the dative. You see that? Believe upon. The dative case is, good question. So if you have a Greek paradigm, you have uh, ha, uh, ha, I think it's hey. No, 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 no. Trish, help me. It's uh, ha to uh, uh, to and te. So this is the word the in Greek, okay? And they teach you these paradigms so that you can know the difference between a nominative, a uh, genitive, a uh, dative, and an accusative, okay? Because, so this is different ways of writing the word the. And so if you put ha, lagos, this is the phrase ha lagos, the word in Greek. And if, you, and if it has this, this article, the, this makes this word the subject in the sentence. 
if you have if you have the genitive, which is to, it would it would not make it the subject. It would make it a um, it would make it would show what's known as possession. It would show possession, which be of the word, of the word of God. The dative would make it. That's how you write the dative for the. The dative would make it the indirect object. Um, Paul gave. Paul gave to Peter the word. Peter's direct object. The word is indirect object in the sentence. Okay, and then the accusative would make it the. Uh, it's actually tain, since y'all can read that. Tain logos would make it the direct object. So Paul gave Peter uh, the word. Peter would be the direct object of the verb. You see that? And so in the Greek language, what's so wonderful is that we actually have objective parameters for doctrine. It's not subjective, right? It's not just because we want the word to say this. We actually have grammatical reasons why we formulate certain things. So, for example, turn with me to John 1.1. 1, 1. I don't mind camping out on doctrine or on grammar. We can do that but because uh, it's so important. So, John 1.1, 1, 1, right? This is very, very important, right? <clears throat> just so that you can see the absolute importance of grammar, in a very simple, familiar text. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, I have to do something here because I didn't bring a Greek Bible in front of me. Oh, why it's not opening up, I don't know. Is it because shows you how technologically advanced I am? Is it because? Oh well, it, that's okay. I'll go back to this. Um, but just even in your Greek, in your uh, English Bible, in the beginning was the Word. Now you notice that, and then it says, "And the Word was with God, and the Word was God." Okay, why? Remember, in the Greek language. There's no, there, word order is not what's important. Uh, you can have, you know, the verse that says, um, uh, the f- you know, the, uh, the faith that has been delivered once and for all to the saints. It actually, the Greek actually has the once for all delivered unto the saints faith. And it puts faith at the very end of the verse. Sometimes that's done for emphasis. So you see how the Greek language can have words all in different places. That's not what's important. What's important is grammar. What's important is what cases it. Is that dative? Is that accusative? Is that nominative? Is that genitive? That's what makes it important. So that's why a lot of people error when they say, you know, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And then some people can erroneously, if they don't know Greek, say, because the word order is literally, the literal word order is, and God was the word. That is the 
word order. And God was the word. What's the problem with that? The problem with that is that it would make the word synonymous with the word God in that phrase. But we know that the word is not synonymous with the word God in that phrase. You see that? Because, it's, because at first he says the word was with God. So there's a distinction. And that's where they would say father, son is implied there. But then it says the word, well, the literal Greek is, and God was the word. But because the word is the nominative, ha, lagos, okay, the word is the nominative case, you know that you're supposed to translate that as the word being the subject, not the word theos, God. It has to be translated, and the word was God, and not the opposite way around. It's not saying that the Father was the word, in other words. And modalists have made that grammatical error throughout the history of the church going all the way back to uh, heretics, um, all the way back to, oh, way back. <laughs> I'm going back in heretics in my mind. Back to uh, Noestus, Praxius, and then Sibelius, and then finally Arius, and, um, and then maybe in our, uh, in the ref during the re Reformation time, you had the Socinians, who also denied the deity of Christ. And today you have the Jehovah Witnesses. That's right. Yeah, that's right. That's, an, that's another error. That's a good question because, you know, um, what they would say is, well, there's no article with the word God, meaning there's the word the is not there. But understand, in the Greek language, there is no such thing as an indefinite article. So there's no such thing as the word a in Greek. Like a God doesn't exist. So I, you know, when Jehovah Witnesses try to translate, like, translate that to me, I say, well, here's my Greek Bible. Show me an indefinite, you know, article. <laughs> ah, well, you know, my elder can come and, you know. <laughs> okay. That's right. Yeah, you can go on the internet and get an interlinear Bible, and you can show it to them that way. Um, <laughs> as long as you got Wi-Fi, buddy. <laughs> okay, so that's why the dative is important. So, pistuon with the dative case, and then pistuon, pistuo epi, or believe upon with the accusative case. That's another way. So now let's look at that, Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. These are just different constructions in the Greek that show us the nature of saving faith and the fact that saving faith has to include the idea of trust as much as knowledge. See, none of these can go without the other, right? You might think, well, <coughs> fiducia is the important one, right? Trust is, that's the, that's the real important one. But remember, my friends, you must also have Noticia. You have to have a knowledge of the gospel. The gospel is not, and I, I, you know, as I say, you know, I, I've pointed this out you know, so often. Conversion is not based on fideism. What is fideism? Fideism is, 
the idea of believing something a priori, in other words, without any facts, just because. That's what my pastor teaches, and that's what I believe. Huh? <laughs> that's not what we're called to be. We're called to be Bereans. If the early church was not even allowed to say, that's what the apostles teach, so that's what I believe. Right? Not even, not even or the Thessalon- Thessalon- Thessalonians. Oh, wait a minute. How does it go? Acts chapter, what is it? Acts chapter, oh, you guys find it. I'm, 17 verse 11, where it says that, that the Bereans were more noble-minded, right? Because they received the word with all readiness, but then they tested. They tested to see of the apostles and what they were saying, if it was so. That's not fideism. <laughs> That's called, they were using their cognitive faculties to verify the facts of the gospel and to test it with scripture. You see? So knowledge is just as important as fiducia, as, tr- as confidence, uh, cognition, also conviction. You have to agree. Yeah, I know that's what we believe. I, I know that's what we, what we believe. I'm just hoping that Christ will say, I don't know if all that stuff is really true. I know that that's what we're supposed to believe. I don't know if it's really true, but I'm, tr- I'm trusting, I'm hoping that Christ will save me. No. That's liberalism. That's what liberals believe, right? It doesn't matter if the exodus actually happened. As long as you believe in the meaning of the exodus. Right? And that kind of liberalism got way out of control in the, uh, in the late 19th century under the German higher critics, men like Rudolf Boltmann, uh, who ultimately ended up adopting what he believed to be uh, myth. And he used that word in a, very, uh, in a very, very deceptive way of saying, you know, what the Bible is is basically, you know, it's just giving us good spiritual maxims but uh, we're, we're to believe in what the resurrection is teaching us. It's just look at the resurrection. It, it, never mind if it actually happened. Just, just focus on the truth of the, uh, of the implications of a resurrected Messiah. Don't, you know, it, we'll never know if historically it happened. No. We can never agree to that. Right? We have to agree with the facts of the gospel. Right, that Jesus, right, what does Paul say in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 3? He says, He says, I gave unto you, I delivered to you a first importance, the f- most important part. And that is that Jesus was crucified according to the scriptures, that he was buried according to the scriptures, and that he rose on the third day according to the scriptures. See? So we can't have one without the other. Um, and then once you have the truth. And once you agree to the truth, you have to trust the truth to save you. By far, the most frequent construction of all is this phrase right here. Pistuo ace. Believe into. Believe into. With the accusative word. With the accusative word. Um, Maybe another example of why these grammatical constructions are so important Right, um, and you're looking at them. So look at uh, John chapter one, verse. John chapter one, verse twelve. I wonder why my logos didn't pull up. Now one of you techies will have to tell me what happened up here today. But uh <laughs> okay, uh, John one, verse verse twelve, chapter one, verse twelve. 
But as many as received him, right? You guys know this verse. To them, he gave them the right to be children of God, even to those who believe, pistuo ace, believe in or into his name. And so that phrase, believe in, and then his name is accusative. It's accusative. And so it's saying those who trusted in him, who put their confidence in him, the people that put their confidence in the Messiah, guess what? They had the authority to be the children of God. Isn't that remarkable? Um, Another reason why um, these constructions are important, I was thinking of what we're going to be talking about, Lord willing, next week um, as we get to justification. Well, no, next week is uh, the conference, right? Better remember that part. When we get back here talking about systematic theology again, um, what I'm going to point out to you is the doctrine of justification. And what's so interesting about the doctrine of justification is that the basis of our justification or the basis, the ground of our justification is grace. And there's a grammatical construction that the Bible uses in order to show you that we are justified by the grace of God, certain construction, because there's another construction that says we are justified by faith. One is communicating the basis of our justification, and the other one is communicating the means of our justification, the modality of it, the instrument right? How are we justified before a holy God? By faith. But is justification, the basis of it, the ground, the very bottom of it, is it based on our faith? Is our faith the reason God justifies people? No. The ultimate basis for justification is grace. And it distinguishes, just like I'm showing you these Greek constructions, it distinguishes those constructions to make it very clear that the basis, the root of God's justifying grace is not our faith, but is the grace of God itself, right? You are justified, the best way to put it, right? You are justified by grace through faith, right? And the Bible distinguishes all of those things so that we don't make error (laughs) so that we don't say see it is based on us (laughs) no it's not it's based on grace so this is the most frequent one and you see it all over now all aspects of uh, all three aspects of saving faith must go together and are present anytime a person genuinely is converted to christ so when you became a christian These three aspects of saving faith were present in your life. They were present in your life. This happened to you. Even though you could never, never describe it at the moment. You could never, you would just say, I don't know, I just just got saved. Yeah, we know that. But the Bible describes what happened to you in the most wondrous detail so that you can understand the miracle of conversion. The miracle, the, that this is the type of faith that God imparts to his children. Right? Any questions, comments? No? Yes, ma'am? Yeah, I was just going to say, it's really hard, but it's not always the 
Charles Leiter. Oh. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's always wonderful to look back at, uh, you know, uh, you know, our conversion, our, our story, and to see what it is that God was actually doing there, you know, how he was drawing us. And I remember when I, when I uh, came to understand the doctrine of effectual calling and understood God was drawing me irresistibly to himself. And I thought, wow, you know, I could have never described it that way, but looking back, that's exactly what happened to me. <laughs> Getting saved was not on my to-do list, period. You know what I mean? I was irresistibly drawn to the Father. Um, okay. On top of that, there are biblical metaphors for saving faith. These are important too because they appear all over Scripture. Such figurative expressions as looking to Jesus, looking to Jesus, eating his flesh, drinking his blood. And his disciples thought he was crazy. They thought he was mad. We're we talking about eating your flesh drinking your blood right um the early christians in the early uh, couple centuries of, of of the christian faith um at least you know in the new covenant um the romans would persecute the christians and and mock and scoff at them uh calling them cannibals that they believe in cannibalism because of passages like this Jesus saying, eat my flesh, drink my blood, which they didn't understand were metaphors for saving faith. What is eating and drinking the blood of Jesus talking about? Internalizing the Son of God by faith. That's what he's talking about. Partaking of him who is the manna from heaven, the bread from heaven. That's what we're supposed to do, the living water, right? We're to take partake of Christ. Taste and see if the Lord is good. That's not talking about literally tasting the Lord. It's talking about spiritual taste, right? Spiritually internalizing the Son of God by faith. And then this uh, idea of receiving him and coming to him. Those are all metaphors for saving faith. So there is some vocabulary that's not helpful, right, that we have to be mindful of. The vocabulary of repentance, right? There is faulty vocabulary out there that we need to be careful that we don't use. For example, ask Jesus into your heart, <laughs> right? Where does the Bible tell you to ask Jesus into your heart? Well, they go to Revelation chapter 3 where it says, you know, he stands at the door and knock and everybody opens up. He will come in and sup with them, right? What's the problem with that verse? Man, you guys are tracking. That's good. It's written to the church. Right? It's written to believers. How heavy is that? That's almost like a double-edged sword. I mean, how heavy is that? That you could be a church, and Jesus is outside knocking, asking to come in. That's, a, that's frightening. Also, make Jesus your Lord. That's right. We don't make Jesus Lord. <laughs> he is Lord, you know, from all eternity. He is God, you know, so we do not make him Lord. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. 
The altar call. Right. Yes. Good. Tell that to the Coptic Christians in Egypt who just got their heads chopped off. I mean. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yes, sir. Uh-huh. Yeah, Charles Finley's Yeah. Well, Charles Finley, I mean, you're, you're fin, uh, Finney, you're talking about Finley. Finley's a basketball player. Uh, <laughs> sorry, you were smiling. The Charles Finney, okay, is coming on the heels of the Great Awakening of Jonathan Edwards. So you're talking about the late 18th century where what Charles Finney tried to do was basically reenact the Great Awakening. And the way that he tried to do that was through uh, uh, um, uh, man-made manipulation where he because he, he was essentially Pelagian, so he rejected the idea of the bondage of the will. He was Arminian in his theology. He thought that man had a free will, and therefore his, his uh, greatest duty was to manipulate the will of man. And how do you do that but to stir man up into an ecstatic state where they make a decision? That's where the term decisionalism came from. It was Finney trying to press people to make an emotional decision for Christ with an external show, and it ended up and, and express in the altar call. Um, I'll never forget when a, th a theologian told me, you receive Christ where you're seated. I thought, what? No, you got to walk up. What are you talking about? You got to go down the carpet. What do you <laughs> got to go up to the steps, don't you? Isn't that where Christ is over there? <laughs> and you think about Lydia by the river. God opened her heart. She didn't have to go down the aisle nowhere. What are we talking about? So... The whole idea of decisionalism, right? And I mean, Charles Finney, I mean, that's the least of his problems. He had much worse problems. He rejected the doctrine of imputation and the vicarious atonement of Christ. He was, uh, had a governmental theory of, the, of, of atonement, which um, was not good. So anyway, we can go on and on. But um, I just wanted to remind you of where we've been and where we're going, okay? We've already looked at conceptual salvation, foreknowledge, predestination, election, and we got into now actual salvation. We dealt with effectual calling, regeneration, repentance and faith or conversion, and then Lord willing, when we pick up again, we will look at justification. And we will, we're gonna spend several weeks on justification um, because 
nothing has changed since the Reformation 500 years ago. It still is the article upon which the church stands or falls, right? If we lose the doctrine of justification, we lose the gospel, period. Simple as that. And and many people today are losing the gospel, and they're going back to Rome. You got Rick Warren talking about our pope and how wonderful he is and how he's done everything right, and he's our pope. I don't know what Rick Warren is talking about, but he's not my pope. You know what I mean? Because he doesn't have the true gospel of justification by grace alone. So anyway, don't get me started on the pope. Man. (laughs) That's better. That's better. Okay, let's pray and we'll go. Father, again, we thank you uh, for your grace and your mercy. And uh, thank you for uh, your scriptures. Thank you that you have made your words so abundantly clear and uh, just a little bit that we studied about the different aspects of saving faith uh, just shows us, Lord, how gracious the gift of faith is and how much is entailed in the gift of faith that, that it's been granted to us to believe so that we could know the gospel, agree with the gospel, and trust in the gospel. Thank you, Father. Bless our worship in Jesus' name. Amen.